Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to Missing on the Crawl Space Media Network. If you like this show, you will love Crawl Space, which is also hosted by us. We launched Crawl Space in 2017, and we have a huge catalog of incredible and thought-provoking interviews. Check out our entire network of shows at crawlspace-media.com. On February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass Amherst student Maura Murray disappeared in the White Mountains of New Hampshire in one of the most perplexing mysteries of our time. For years, we have covered Maura's case and the tireless online community that surrounds it in great detail. We have since expanded our mission with this series, raising awareness and shining a light on the stories of other missing persons. We now sit on the board of directors of the nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing, which was founded by Bruce Maitland. Bruce's daughter, Brianna Maitland, went missing from Montgomery, Vermont on March 19th of 2004, just six weeks after and about 80 miles away from where Maura Murray vanished. Private Investigations for the Missing aims to assist with investigations for underserved families whose missing loved ones have been forgotten by the media or by law enforcement. Through our growing community, we hope to shed a light on these cold cases. Families and loved ones can reach out to us at investigationsforthemissing.org. This is Missing. Welcome back to Missing. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing so well. How are you today, Tim? I'm doing great. Lance, in this episode, as you know, we introduce a new case to our audience, at least. It is the disappearance of Phoenix Colden from Spanish Lake, Missouri in 2011. That's right. She disappeared on December 18th, like you said, of 2011. She was age 23. And in this episode, we speak to her mom, a very powerful force, a wonderful, uh, dare I say, intimidating force, Goldia Colden. I was literally changed after this interview, and I think it might have had a similar effect on you. Hopefully, this will resonate with the listeners as well. I definitely think it will, Lance, and this is going to be broken up into a two-parter uh, with Goldia. And in this interview as well, we also have investigators Andrew and Vanessa Wyland who are working with private investigations for the missing on this case. And they are great investigators, and they kind of sit in the background a little bit in this interview, but in parts three and four of this series, we will be speaking with just them. And I tend to reiterate this quite a bit, but I feel like it's important to note that individuals like Vanessa and Andy, who came to us through private investigations for the missing, 
who brought Phoenix's story to us and introduced us to Lawrence Colden and Goldia Colden. This is all part of the inner workings of PIs for the Missing. The missing person story is brought to us. We have connected with investigators, licensed investigators, and then we bring this subject to the public eye. So we try to raise as much awareness as possible. And for those who would want more information on Vanessa Weiland and Andy Weiland, you can go to lakefrontinvestigative.com. And anybody who would like more information on private investigations for the missing, please go to investigationsforthemissing.org. Well said, and follow the social pages as well. Thanks a lot for that, Lance. And also, in case you haven't noticed, we have a new look here. We're called Missing Now, and you can follow our social pages at Missing CSM. That stands for Crawl Space Media. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back with another episode with Goldia very soon. Welcome to the podcast. We are being joined now by Goldia, Phoenix Colden's mom. How are you today, Goldia? I'm doing. That's good. I, I think that's a uh, fantastic answer. Uh, it's it's about as 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 much as anyone can say. Uh, I hope you're having a good uh, 2021 and um, you know making the best out of everything. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to join us. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And uh, we're also being joined by two private investigators, Andrew and Vanessa Wayland, uh, who are working for or working with donating their time really to uh, private investigations for the missing. And uh, that is how we uh, come to came to meet you both. Um, so thank you both for uh, for joining us here and uh, spending your time today, too. Thanks thank for you having for us. having us. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your uh, your profession, how you got involved with uh, the world of uh, private investigations? Both Andy and I grew up in the um, intel analyst world um, and uh, not terribly, I'm not terribly familiar with the law enforcement world, uh, even though I did work for DOJ for a short time. Um, but I originally, for me, I got involved with uh, looking for missing people through an organization called Trace Labs um, out of Canada. Uh, so they crowdsource, um, uh, I guess, missing persons investigations. Uh, they have CTFs monthly, uh, that kind of thing. Capture the flag. Uh, yes, capture the flag, sorry. So I got involved with that and, that, and one thing kind of led to another and I wanted to see how we could do this um, regularly, uh, even if not full-time, at least donating a, a quite a bit of our time um, towards missing person's investigations. And then uh, over time, uh, that led us to private investigations for the missing. And I reached out to Bruce and Lou, and they were absolutely fantastic. Um, and ex and they appreciated the fact that even though we weren't uh, police officers before, we did have a unique uh, skill set that we could bring to the profession. Um, and so then we hooked up with a few private investigators um, here in the Maryland area, um, got our licenses, and uh, the rest, I guess, it will be history. That's awesome. Um, it's so good that you had that experience with Bruce and Lou. Bruce and Lou are about as down to earth, as salt of the earth as as it as it gets. You mentioned uh, CTF capture the flag. What 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 is that? Uh, so uh, capture the flag. It's it's used in like uh, I guess the hacker world. I'm not I'm not a hacker at all. But um, it's when or I guess it's also a kids game. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't think about that. Um, but it's basically when you're uh, looking for a series of uh, pieces of information uh, for the missing person CTF. It is uh, can you find additional information about social media accounts, um, locations, family members, that kind of thing, um, and then. I mean, I hate to say it this way, as if a uh, missing person or a cold case is a game, uh, but they've gamified it so that you earn a certain amount of points um, and then your team 
really just for pride points, uh, you rise to the top. Um, and it helps a little bit. I mean, because people have some incentives, um, you know, maybe a free Hunchly account or, or, you know, something like that, or just a badge that they can wear to DEF CON. Um, but in general, it really does get a lot of people um, in front of these missing person cases and uh, a lot of people focusing on them that maybe wouldn't do it normally. And using some skills, um, both uh, InfoSec skills, OSINT skills, Intel skills, um, they're using it for good. How did you both um, meet Goldia and the Coldens and start working on Phoenix's disappearance? Uh, Lou contacted us several months ago. Uh, Lou Berry, our, you know, our case manager, right? He contacted us several months ago uh, with... Um, with two cases, the first one uh, you talked with him about, and that what that resulted in a. Uh, it was a location. So, um, I'm sorry to to please, hijack please. it, but uh, our first case that we worked with Lou was a young man that was here in the Maryland area, um, and it kind of illustrated some of the problems that we have uh, in missing person cases overall. Um, the uh, police had reported him as a runaway. Um, and then there was there were no updates to the case for years. Um, and so after a little bit, uh, you know, actually just a day of digging, um, we located him. He's fine. He's working, you know, family. Um, he's he's grown up and it, it's just he's out there listed as somebody missing that that is no longer. Um, so so I think that that's one of those instances where we have a lack of uh, communication between law enforcement and public on the missing persons cases. And then with, uh, thank you, thanks. And then uh, with uh, Mr. and Mrs. Colden, um, Lou sent us that follow-up uh, just a few days after that one settled and uh, for a case in uh, out of Missouri, uh, Phoenix Colden. We weren't initially sure how that would work from Maryland, how we could do this effectively from Maryland. Um, but of course that was in the midst of this uh, pandemic onset. So we were all learning to do a lot more, th a lot more um, virtually than maybe we used to do. And um, so we quickly decided that this was a, in talking with Lou, uh, that this case has um, several opportunities for advancement um, to go further with it in, in Lou's uh, initial uh, approximation of it. I agreed, I looked at it, Vanessa agreed, and we took the case. We spoke with um, Goldie and Lawrence probably a week later. Uh, we made an introductory call and uh, we've been talking with Goldia and Lawrence ever since, um, kind of off and on, but um, admittedly the last six months or so, uh, the Coldens haven't received much from us in, at really at all in terms of um, new leads or where where things are going right now because we've been in information gathering mode, uh, which is very normal uh, as we've come to understand in these types of cases. You can spend several months uh, just getting to know things, understanding the facts from the assumptions. Um, and from the misinformation or, or lack of information. So right now we are, we're really getting into action mode and we're partnering uh, very closely with Goldia. She and I had a great conversation last night talking about um, a partnership between us where it isn't simply Vanessa and I going off and uh, deciding what is best for this case. Goldia and Lawrence have been, as you'll learn when, once you talk with uh, her here in a second, uh, they're pros at this. Mm -hmm. They're not newbies. Uh, they're not new people in on this uh, in this effort. So we stand to learn a lot from them, and that kind of partnership is going to be very valuable, I believe, uh, moving forward. And this interview right here, Tim and Lance, thank you so much for this opportunity, because in speaking with Lou, this really is an opportunity to kickstart the operational side. And I, I know I speak like a military guy. Forgive me. Um, but this, this really does kick off our operation. Um, so thank you both so much for this opportunity. Goldia, thank you again for, uh, for just putting yourself out there. I know this is never easy to do this again and again and again. 
And so with that, uh, Ness, unless you have anything else, mm -hmm. I would love to turn it back to uh, you, Tim and Lance and Goldia. We'll just go on mute. If anybody has a question for us, we'll be paying attention. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank thank you so much. And really, there's, um, we 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 appreciate our position in this. Just just so everybody knows, and uh, we want to raise as much awareness for Phoenix as as possible. And like Andy said, it it it, it has to be extraordinarily trying to go over it again and again and again. But we we need to make sure people don't forget about Phoenix. So it's it's so necessary to go over it so many times, and and we do appreciate that so much. So uh, I just wanted to say that before we get into it. Thank you. So Goldia, um, can you tell us a little bit about the investigation and and I guess what it's been like working with the Waylands? I um I, I don't know what to say except that I think Mr. and Miss Mrs. Wyland <laughs> are uh, extraordinary people. I, I want them to understand that what I'm going to say is not personal. That what I'm going to say next is not personal. We have had many people come into our lives since December 19th or around the, the 20th of December of 2011 We've had many people come into our lives who said that they were going to help us, that their intent was to help us. Of those many people, there were quite a few who were not telling the truth. They did not come into our lives to help us. They came into our lives to see what we know about Phoenix's missing situation. They came into our lives to make money. They came into our lives because they like the color lime, if you catch my drift. They came into our lives because they were busybodies. Then you have, the, uh, on the other hand, those people who really were trying to help. And then they helped a little, and then they dropped off. It's almost like they dropped off the face of the earth, and we heard nothing else from them. So that's what it's been like. And I wonder, what happened to those people who really were trying to help? What did they find out? What did they learn? And why did they just disappear all of a sudden? But we're starting again with the Wylands. We're starting again because I want to find my daughter. My husband, Lawrence, wasn't too keen on starting with the Wylands because he was fed up. I'm fed up too, probably more so than he is but I want to find my daughter. I, I've endured a lot with people that I had, a, I had an inkling that they really weren't there to help us, but I went forward anyway because of what you just said a few minutes ago we don't want anybody to forget Phoenix. We want people to know about Phoenix Colden. We want people to see her face. So I went forward anyway. And that's the least I could do for my daughter. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Thank you very much. Um, I understand how, uh, how difficult that must be um, going over this uh, information over and over and then dealing with different people. Um, the people you were, you were dealing with before, I know there was an oxygen special, um, on Phoenix's case. Yes. Um, that, that's uh, one of the, well, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, well, I was just going to say it. I, I watched it and it seemed like they did, uh, dig up some information. Are the people you're talking about private investigators? Are they, uh, police? 
I'm talking about uh, so-called private investigators. I'm talking about um, a few police. Most of the police who have entered our lives were good people who really tried to help, tried to help. And then we have the media. You named one. And I would warn anybody who unfortunately might be in the same situation as we in the future to steer clear of those people, the one that you named, oxygen. I'm going to say it because I really don't have anything to lose. Steer clear of them. They're trying to forward their agenda, which is entertainment. Now you said that they uncovered some things. They didn't uncover diddly. They did not uncover anything substantive. They did not uncover anything that we didn't already know. They did not uncover anything that the St. Louis County Police Department did not already know. Okay? They didn't uncover, they uncovered some people who wanted to be on TV. It's such an unfortunate situation. I, I don't, I can't, um, I'll tell you that I feel for you. I obviously can't relate to that because I'm not in your shoes. Um, but I, I definitely uh, feel for you, and and I'm sure the the emotion that that you're putting out there right now is going to translate to the listeners. They're going to feel for you as well. Um, and for anybody who doesn't know about Phoenix, can you uh, just take us back and and talk about her? Um, so people can get a sense of what kind of young woman this was or is. That's another thing. I cannot continue to speak with you about my daughter if you use the past tense. I know. My my apologies. I accept your apology. Phoenix is not... <laughs> the perfect human being. She is not a perfect human being. None of us are, but she's perfect for me. She is perfect for me. She's, um, she's funny. Oh, I wish you could hear her Valley girl, um, her Valley girl imitation. She has this, this talent of imitating voices, different voices. Valley Girl, um, mm, how do I say it? Black Ghetto Girl, <laughs> so funny. Um, she um, she's very talented. She has odd talents, such as being able to spell things backwards, like a whole sentence. I have to interrupt. How how did that happen? When did you first learn that she was able to do that? When she was a little girl. She just started to do it? Yeah. She says, Mom, show me. You know, she would read something and then she'd say, I can spell that. And then she'd spell it. And I'm like, that's not right, Phoenix. She says, yes, it is. I spelled it backwards. That's remarkable. <laughs> I'm like, what? Um <laughs> She plays the piano. She started piano lessons when she was about six or she started piano lessons. And I would always go with her to her uh, lessons. And I insisted on being there. Sometimes they would say, oh, you can sit outside or you can wait in the car. I said, yes, I know I can, but I'm going to sit right here. Okay. Anyway. I noticed how Phoenix was playing, how she was learning. And, and I took the teacher aside and I told her, I said, Phoenix is imitating you. And she says, what do you mean? She says, no, she's, she's learning the notes and she's, 
She's doing really well. I said, no, 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 no. Phoenix is imitating you. You will play something. She will watch you very closely. And then she puts her fingers exactly where you put yours. She has not learned those, those, those T's yet. And she didn't believe me. And I said, well, test her and see. So she played something that Phoenix had never heard. And Phoenix reproduced exactly what she had done. And she said, that's amazing. I said, yeah, it is, it is. She has a very keen sense of fairness, a very keen sense of fairness. She was raised not to see color. Um, she accepts people for how they treat her. You, you mentioned how she is able to imitate music. Is it just music that she can identify and, and imitate? She does impersonations. You said the, the Valley Girl and so on. What what else was it she was able she's able to look at and and imitate? When she when she started fencing, she she was good at that because she watched she 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 observed her, her observation skills are very keen. So she she used her observation skills in learning to fence, but also she had ballet lessons when she was about five or six. So that that helped with her fencing as well. Um, I, I can't think of anything else. She's just funny. She's un, unbelievably funny. Um, you can say that she has a dry sense of humor. In order to get to know her, you have to be around her and she will observe you very closely before she will uh, let you see the real Phoenix. How did she get introduced to fencing because that's a very unique sport and that takes more discipline. I've never fenced, but it takes more discipline than people realize. And it takes more physical uh, endurance, I, I think, uh, combined with mental endurance. How did she get introduced to that? Was that, was that you that introduced her to, to fencing? I believe that you should keep your children busy so that they don't get into trouble. And I believe when you get your children into activities that you should go wherever they're going and you sit there and you watch and learn whatever the activity is. So when we, uh, to get to answer your question, Goldia, um, we moved to, from, from California to St. Louis and we went around to several schools Phoenix even uh, attended one or two schools and we finally decided that the even the private schools were not quite for her. She wanted to be homeschooled again. So um, that was sixth grade. So we started homeschooling and there's a homeschooling um, association in the St. Louis area that I learned about and we joined and we went to one of their meetings and I met a fencing coach there and I thought oh this might be something Phoenix might be interested in so we talked to him and and she said yeah I'd like to to try that mom so that's how we got involved in it. Phoenix seems very smart did she what, what was she studying she went to college after high school? Uh, we went from sixth grade, let's see, third grade was homeschooled, and then fourth and fifth grade, she attended a Nazarene uh, Christian school in um, Bakersfield, California, and sixth grade through high school, we used the Abeka curriculum, which is an excellent curriculum for homeschooling, and um and then she was supposed, we went around to a lot of different universities. We went to Abilene Christian College. Uh, we went down to Pensacola Christian College. We went to Dallas Baptist uh, and several other uh, schools, mostly in Texas. And she, she had decided that she would like to go to, uh, I'm sorry, to attend um, Dallas Baptist because 
when we went there, she was very impressed with not only the campus, but also they had this hat. I think it was a hat, somebody's hat. And she said, in the, in the student union, she's some, some famous football person. Do you know who that is? Well, she knew. And she said, mom, I want to go to this school because she's a big Dallas um, Cowboys fan. And um, so we got, we started shopping and getting her things together. And the first week of, I think it was August of that year, I had a heart attack. And Phoenix was there at the hospital with me. And I went home to recuperate. And I told her that she should continue with her plans to go to Dallas Baptist. And she was adamant that she wanted to stay at home with me because otherwise I would be alone because my husband... Lawrence was working, still working in California at the time and coming back and forth to, to St. Louis. And I, I told her, I said, I'm, I'm never alone, Phoenix. And I want you to remember this. You're never alone. What is it? Missouri Baptist. And that's where she attended the first year. And she, um, she was on the honor roll and she did quite well. But unbeknownst to me and to Lawrence, that's where this all started. Is Phoenix uh, a very religious individual? What do you mean by very religious? Um, have you raised her in a in a house of of? Is there a lot of faith uh, in in religion in in your house? I'm just curious. In no in no other context other than. You were saying that she has a fairness to her, so I'm I'm wondering where that uh where that comes from, where that's rooted in. Is it is it rooted in more of a a combination of like religion and and faith? It's rooted in being a good human being. Yeah. And well, yeah, wait, 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 wait. Let's not go on to something. Let's let's stay there for a minute. Sure. We went to church. We attended church almost every Sunday. Not every single Sunday. Phoenix was in the handbell choir at church. That was her decision. Phoenix liked to play the piano at church. And that was her decision. Phoenix participated in other activities at church, such as decorating um, at Christmas time. Phoenix participated in fellowship after worship services. But does going to church and all those activities make one religious? Not right. really. Right. No, no, you, you, yeah, you absolutely got to what was in my head, which yeah, is I know. This, the sense of like community. I feel like what you're, what you're saying, how you've described this, um, up until the point where she's going to university is a sense of community is a sense of, of belonging and having uh, involvement in something beyond an individual um, belief or beyond an individual uh, desire. You know what I mean? It, unselfishness is what I'm trying to say. Unselfishness, but not foolish. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. 
Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. And, um... Earlier, you mentioned that um, there has been some some misinformation out there, and I guess I'm just curious what um, what comes to mind first when uh, when when we're talking about misinformation in in this case. Well, let's see now. The one thing that really really bothers me is the police officer police officer's account of the car situation when Phoenix's car was found. We don't know if the car was running or if it was not running. We don't know if the door was open, ajar, or just unlocked. What I would really like to know is how the officer knew that there had been a female in the car, and that's on the police report, when there was nobody around. He said there was nobody around, but there, he indicated on the police report that, that there was a, a female. He also indicated to his superior, and we were told this by his superior, that there was nothing in the car. But there was lots of stuff in the car. This is a bag, and inside the bag are different things that were in the car, okay? Lots of stuff that was in the car. But he said that there was nothing in the car, you know? So uh, who's telling the truth? And... When you're saying that they said there was nothing in the car, he said there was nothing in the car. Uh, this is something that is documented. I just want to be clear for people listening. This is something that's documented on police reports. Yes. Right. Not 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 something that or it might have been something that he said to you personally as well. But it's actually he didn't even say that to you. Yeah. He said it to his superior. His superior told us uh, also that was in the car was Phoenix's eyeglasses. And the insurance card would show the owner of the car as being Goldia Colden. The car was in my name so that we could get, you know, lower insurance rates. That card was in the car with my address and everything. And you also said at the beginning of this that they didn't know or it wasn't documented whether the car was running or or not running. Is that just oversight in your opinion, or is it I, that just baffles me that that would be a detail that's not <laughs> clear. It, it was sort of so different from um some of the articles and then in the auction show as, as you noted the uh, the officer who's in that show um says that the car door was closed, the car wasn't running as you said there was nothing in the car, so yeah, I'm, I guess I'm just wondering what you think the truth is or what you know the truth is um about that I have no idea I have no idea what the truth is. That's uh, really frustrating. Hey, uh, can, can yeah. I'd like to jump in real quick, Vanessa. This is something that Vanessa and I have given um, a bit of thought to. And Vanessa, could you 
talk to this part a little bit? Um, sure. I think we're all familiar with the precision with which police fill out certain reports, uh, particular words that they use um, when they are describing events and situations um, or logging evidence even. And the fact that he, that this particular officer and, and, and other officers and, and folks involved were not speaking with a preciseness about how the car was found, about the things that were in the car, uh, that, that does call into question a lot of the things that happened around that time. Also, we are, are there is a, there is a, I guess, a school of thought or, or a theory that when that particular officer said there was nothing in the car, he meant there was nothing of significance in the car, meaning he was looking for drugs, guns, weapons, you know, uh, uh, bodily fluids that would indicate somebody came to harm, um, which in other cases would be normal for a police officer to look for um, in a situation like that. However, um, I think with the totality of, of the evidence um, or, or the, the, the things that happened in that particular situation, um, I definitely call into question uh, many of the things that he said. So we get into the timelines of how how this yes. how the vehicle was um uh, was first reported how when how long it took for the officer to first respond uh, for that responding officer to get on the scene to uh, run the tags to identify that the vehicle was empty using the words that that officer used right that the vehicle was empty and summarily have the vehicle towed now i'm not I, I am hesitant to um, Monday morning quarterback a, an officer's uh, duty, right? What an officer is doing on the job. I am a retired senior NCO, and I know that there is a full range of, um, there's a full range on a, in a unit like that of folks that are very, very dedicated and good at their jobs. And then those who may have had a bad day may not be very good at their jobs and that's not really what we're getting at here when we're when we're asking these questions why did it happen so quickly vanessa was was looking at something earlier today and confirmed go ahead we live in maryland there are several intersecting highways here um and at any one of those intersections there is an abandoned car and I will pass it going to work on a Wednesday. It will have a t-shirt hanging out of the window. And then I will pass it again going to work on Friday where it has a big bright sticker saying we're gonna tow it if it's not uh, removed at some point. And the fact that a car was there on the side of the road had just been driven about 30 to 45 minutes away from home. It would be warm. It might still be turning over. It would be obvious that somebody walked away and if he said it was just out of gas you don't tow a car that's just out of gas an hour later i want to also point out that if if this is the conflicting part and so we, we you, lance uh i think lance or tim sorry you, you'd mentioned misinformation forgive me if i forgot which one of you said that you'd asked about misinformation this is one of those things where i don't understand we we first uh, understood uh goldia can attest to this i say we collectively the public first understood that the vehicle was in the lane doors open car running then we understand from that police officer no no the vehicle wasn't in the lane it was on the side of the road the doors were were not open the car was not running it was empty i had it towed if the car was on the side of the if the car had been in the middle of the lane I could, I could buy it. Okay, you needed to get it out of there because it's blocking traffic. Okay, but if you now change it and say, no, 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 it was on the side of the road, then that, to me, brings on greater questions. Why, what's, what was the sudden urgency to get that vehicle out? Why was the city willing to spend the money to get a vehicle off the road in record time? 
if you ask me. Why were they so quick to do that? What happened? And so, yeah, I could be the professional and I can say that I, I can put this uh, diplomatically and I can say that some people are very good at their jobs and very dedicated to the service that they provide to the citizens of their, of their cities, of their municipalities, of their states, of the nation. And then you have those who want a job. And it's pretty easy to drive around in a car and get called to a scene to do things. Um, but there's a, you know, that, that general risk, that, that, that assumed risk, especially in an area like East St. Louis, especially in an area like East St. Louis. So if on the, the police report, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of going off, um, I'm having a uh, stream of consciousness on this because this is something we've talked about ad nauseum here in the home, but um, gosh, why did it take him? Why did it happen so quickly? Why do we not have a clear um, understanding of what happened that day? And why did the police report indicate? And Goldie, I'm just going to say exactly what was on that report. It indicated that there was a female victim. Well, okay, so we we have to be very careful, right? Because at any point in time, uh, we could say certain things and it could be misconstrued. Sure. So we are we are calling things into question. We are Monday mor morning quarterbacking, um, but it's okay to raise these questions. But we cannot slander, you know, a, an oh, entire yeah. police department. Or <laughs> we cannot, Goldia. <laughs> that is, it, it, we cannot. It's, it's not our intent. It is not our intent. And that isn't what private investigations for the missing does. And it, it absolutely. So so there are so there is a standard form right? A standard government form. And on that form, there is a block that says victim. There is not a block that says owner. There is not a block that says possessor or any of those things. It says victim. And had anybody done even an ounce of due diligence, they would have seen the insurance card. They would have seen a female name on there and they may have put adult female. So there are explanations for everything. But again, we have to look at the entire situation and just, um, you know, we, we won't say necessarily incompetence or, uh, you know, some sort of conspiracy or any of those kinds of things. But we do have to say there are things that happen that should be called into question. Um, Irregularities that really need to be picked apart a little bit more. A little bit yeah. More. Yeah. And uh, last thing I'll add on that uh, real quick is um, those those irregularities have led to a situation where this case is without those irregularities cleared up, th this case is very difficult to move forward. It, and it, they there was time lost mm -hmm. at the beginning because of, because of some of these irregularities. Yeah. Yes, I, I just wanted to say, when we speak with passion, it's because um, not only because Andy and the Kuldans have had um, much more uh, discuss, m many more discussions than, than we have, of course, but also we have two grown children, uh, grown children. We have two children of uh, majority age. Mm -hmm. And at any point in time, this could be any one of us. It could have been me at 20 or 23, you know, getting into things that I didn't know that I could get into, uh, that I didn't know anything about, or really just walking down the street and just not having situational awareness. It, it could have been any number of things. So we we can see ourselves and we can see our children in Phoenix. And so I, I just want to make sure that when we do speak passionately and we may seem to be accusatory to some of those people in 2011 and 2012, we really aren't accusing. We're just very passionate. And trying to understand. But on the same, on the, on the same note, it's very frustrating to hear these stories. I don't have children, so I can't firsthand speak to that experience, but it's extremely frustrating to hear stories about people in positions who don't do their jobs, especially when that job is so important. The job of any anyone in law enforcement is so important. So many people depend on that protection and that safety and when you're not doing it, why are you there? And it really bothers me. 
So to I, you, you, you put it very diplomatically and bravo for you, <laughs> for you for doing that. But it's so frustrating because we hear it all the time. Like they didn't, they didn't do this. They, they were sloppy on the paperwork. They were sloppy on this. Like how, how I, I know it's a hard job. I do, but that's what you signed up for. You knew it was a hard job. Everybody doesn't think like you do. That's what my mother told me. And she continues to tell me that at my advanced age, Goldia, everybody doesn't think like you do. And I agree with what you're saying, but everybody doesn't see their job that way. They don't think that this is a special case. This could be my child. This could be my whatever. This is just another case. And I got to do the paperwork and move on to the next one. That's how most people think. And uh, I, I understand the car was found in Illinois, even though uh, you guys, the Coldens, you're living in Missouri at the time? Yes. Do you, do you think that added to some of the confusion initially? No. <laughs> he said, you, have you done any research at all about East St. Louis or its history? Yeah, we've heard it's not a great area, yeah. Well, it used to be a great area. I grew up there. Um, It was once in the mid-50s, an all-American city. It was a wonderful place to live. But there are certain things about East St. Louis that, as far as my memory goes, has always been um, a place where police and people in the political um, arena have a certain reputation. The area where Phoenix's car was found, there was not a lot of traffic. So her car being on the side of the street, in the street, or just over to the side, or in the parking lane or whatever, would not have created the urgency to get there and see about that car and then tow it in the amount of time that the police records show was used in that situation. It didn't, it didn't warrant that, that there was nice in St. Clair was not well traveled. Officially. How long was it? Because we, did you say it was about an hour? No, less, less than an hour. And, and the Wylands probably have better memory than I. But from my memory of what I recall seeing on the uh, when the call came through and when the car was the car was actually towed, that may have been an hour that that span of time may have been an hour. But from the time that the the call, the 911 call came through and the police officer was dispatched to the scene where the car was, was less than half an hour. That's amazing. That is amazing. And and Andy and and, uh, Vanessa can correct me if I'm wrong. No, no, not at all. I I actually, it's um, even less than that. So I believe that the 911 call came in. The dispatcher dispatched uh, Officer Perry to the scene in under a minute. So he was on his way in under a minute. Uh, arriving just a few minutes later, and the tow truck was on their way about 15 minutes after that. So that is a very narrow span of time, and I'm going to get the exact time wrong, but I believe it was 56 minutes um, from start to finish um, when they, from the 911 call to when they're hooking that, uh, the car up. And honestly, it seems weird to me that someone would necessarily call on that on that strip of road, right? And and yeah. I we've done a little bit of geo on it, yeah. and just looking at where that where the car was uh, supposed to be, that someone would call that quickly after it had been uh, reportedly abandoned. That's another 
set of circumstances that, that lines up so quickly, um, it, it, it's just very questionable. Yeah, and I believe that they're uh, right down the vehicle, and Goldia, you'll, you'll correct us now, uh, but I believe the vehicle was just down from what appears to be, at one point, it was maybe a strip club or like something, something, it looks like it had, you know, or a bar, a pub, something not quite, not, not quite. I don't know what, I know what building you're speaking a of. Pink, and I a don't pink know building. In that building. Yeah, it's I don't a pink know. facade. And now that building is gone. I have to tell you, that's another thing. That whole, any, that whole area has been redeveloped. There's a, now there's a traffic circle there, a roundabout that was not there before. Uh, road is well paved. Um, it looks like in, in doing a little bit of uh, Google uh, casing of the area, right? Um, looks like there there's more traffic now than there might've been in the past. That pink building is now demolished, it's gone. Uh, there's new corporate or industrial type buildings there. It's, it's developed out. So any evidence that might be, might have been in that area at the time is likely gone gone yeah buried under um all of the new construction but i i'm sorry that's one one more thing is i just i said this earlier i'll say it again this this time with officer perry this is our missing time in this entire case officer perry is um wholly responsible for clarifying for for the Coldens, Officer Perry, not the not the Saint East St. Louis Police Department at this point. Officer Perry is wholly responsible for allowing us to fully understand what happened in those fifty six minutes. Mm-hmm. And he has just it appears uh, that he has just not either not been forthcoming for for a. Um, it is not clear why he has been not as forthcoming or his memory is just that poor. And if his okay. memory is just that poor, then um, that that's where this, I'm sorry, yeah, I'm, go, I'm going off a little bit, but, uh, but that's where this, that's where we are stalling in the investigation. So I, I also wanted to um, quickly touch on the fact that that area is redeveloped even between 2012 and 2018, that area had changed significantly. So when the oxygen special uh, came on, which a lot of people familiarize themselves with the case through that, um, for, through that show, um, there are going to be uh, scenes and, and, and um, layouts of that particular area that aren't necessary, that weren't applicable at the time. And so um, sometimes when when people are questioning afterwards, other people are saying, well, it's fine because there was a roundabout. And so of course it's blocking traffic at the time it didn't. Um, So I just wanted to make sure that was clear. And do you know who called 911? An anonymous caller. That's what I was told. Has anyone ever seen the transcript? I, I guess I'm wondering what they said on the call. I asked to see the transcript, and I was denied. I haven't seen anything except the two police reports. Can I ask how the denial comes to you when you ask to see the transcript? Well, I I personally didn't ask. I believe it was Lawrence. Sure. I don't, I don't know if he talked to the police chief, who at the time was, um, it might have been Michael Flory, or if he talked to our private investigator at the time. I'm not sure which. Um, I, I wasn't all there uh, all the time. <laughs> during that period of time. So Lawrence did a lot of the the uh, talking with with uh, the police and, and um, the private investigator.
When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter Brianna disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.